with giants. Especially, even if or especially, if that giant that I'm facing is my flesh. And I don't, I don't think we were pushing against flesh there. But I felt it. Like walking through sludge. It's there. I know it's there. It would be easier if I just didn't push. That would be making a treaty. And that would let the sludge know that all it has to do is show up and I'll stop. But I don't make treaties with giants. We're not going to make treaties with the giants in our city. No, I said it last Sunday night. We had powerful church on Wednesday night, but I felt it here. We had great church this morning, and I felt it again tonight. As soon as I walked on the plane, I felt it. I didn't feel it in, in praise practice, but I felt it when, when service time came around. Just that sludge. I'm not backing down. I'm not backing up. This is how we fight. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. And I need to tell myself, and you need to tell yourself, that every war he wages, he intends on winning. So I'm not backing down. Not backing up. Because I know how the story ends. Whether in this life or the next, I intend to have victory. But I'd sure like to have it in both. We've got the victory tonight. Why don't you say it? I've got the victory. victory. We're not just saying that. we got the victory over that spirit tonight. Now every time it tries to pop its head, we're going to let that spirit know, I've already got victory over you once. You thought he was just the God of the hills. You didn't think he was the God in the valley. But he's the God in my valley, just like he is in the hills. Jesus, one more time, let's clap our hands. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason 
that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and five others. They set them before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Going to preach tonight about the nudging the nudging. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, I want you to have your way. God, I want to blast through the barriers tonight. God, use us for your glory. God, use us for the furtherance of your kingdom. God, we desire it with everything in us, everything we are. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive what you have for us tonight. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. The nudging. We find that a lot has transpired between the first and second chapters of the book of Acts. Now we are reading from Acts chapter 6, and the number of disciples has multiplied, and whenever you start dealing with different people, with different voices, different opinions, there tends to become different issues. And the first church was not any different than that. They were normal people like you and I. There's a murmuring that begins to take place between the the Grecians and the Hebrews. And the Bible tells us that the original 12, or the original 11 plus Matthias, are presented with this issue. And they said, you know, we understand that the widows and the orphans and the needy need to be taken care of, but we just don't feel that it would be prudent. We don't feel that it would be wise for us to focus on that. It needs to be done, but but let's, why don't you guys, why don't you, and they turn around and they give them the power and the ability to do it. They said, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business. Uh, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full 
of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And they chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These were not just ordinary men. They were men who were full of the Holy Ghost, and they were full of wisdom. In fact, it would be Philip who is named in chapter 6 and verse 5 that would be that very same Philip that would go and would preach into, uh, uh, unto the Samaritans, and it would be Philip who would baptize Simon the sorcerer. It would be this very Philip who would then go and be called out to, to minister to the, the Ethiopian eunuch and then baptize him in Jesus' name and when would be translated and, and picked up and moved to a different spot. So these were not just men who were average. They were men who were full of the Holy Ghost. They were men who were full of power. They were men just like you and I. They were the saints of God because whenever, whenever you are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you are not normal. You are not average. You are above average. Philip will later be called an evangelist, but he is numbered here with Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. In verse 8, we find Stephen full of faith and power, doing great wonders and miracles among the people. He's a man just like you and I are men and women. He's human. He's got flesh. He's normal. But he's full of the Holy Ghost. And he's full of faith. And he's full of power. Brother Eric, I don't know about out there, but I know my voice is on the verge of being gone. So if you can help me out up here, if it's too loud, I'll pull my own microphone away. But he's full of faith. And he's full of power. And he's doing great wonders and miracles among the people. And there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia, and of Asia. And they are disputing with Stephen. These are Jews who had been carried away by the Romans. They had learned the Greek language. They had lived in Rome. And then once Rome is... The, the empire of the world then they're, they're set free, they're no longer slaves and they come back to Jerusalem and now they've been places now they know some things now they've been educated and in fact that's why they're called libertines is because they were set at liberty they were slaves and now they're liberated they're libertines and they've got their own synagogue and, and they're there and they're disputing with Stephen but they were not able to resist the wisdom and the power by which he spake. They were not able to answer. They were not able to argue with him. He was full of faith. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the Spirit. They could not resist him in that. And so like they did with Jesus, they find themselves some witnesses. They concoct a story. We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. All that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him in verse 15. They're going down through their list of charges. And it's almost as if Stephen, in his spirit, begins to be transported somewhere else. They look steadfastly on him and they see his face as it had been the face of an angel. The glory of God is shining upon him. 
It's shining out of him, out of his face. It's wrapped around his head. The glory of God is shining from him. And in Acts chapter 7, we find that Stephen begins preaching before the council. And it's like 50-some verses. Read it on your own. Uh, But the book of Acts is structured around three men. It's structured around three men. Chapters 1 through 12 are structured around Simon Peter. Chapters 13 through 28 are structured around Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. But these two men are connected and the gap is bridged by Stephen Waiter of tables, full of the Holy Ghost and power. The apostle to the Jews and the apostle to the Gentiles are bridged by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen begins preaching, verses 2 through verse 53. They heard all of the preaching that Stephen is, is so eloquently exemplifying. He's, he's, he's in his element. The, the Holy Ghost is pouring out of him. It's working through him. He is giving it his very best. He's not preaching to escape. He's preaching to share the truth. But verse 54 said that when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth they were enraged physical rage began to emanate from these men and they physically attacked Stephen in a violent response to his preaching but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said behold I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God he's denied a righteous judgment on the earth standing in the synagogue of the libertines but he looks up into heaven he looks up at a higher court he looks up at a higher judge Caiaphas I know that you might be the high priest but I've been given another I've been given a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and I'm lifting up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help and I'm finding righteous approval in a higher court. God opened his sight into another dimension and allowed him to see the reward of those who give their life for the gospel. Stephen, you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're not speaking in your own power, but by the Spirit. By the Spirit, he's led. By the Spirit, he speaks verbatim. The words which Jesus himself spoke before this same council. Very possibly the same men. Matthew 26 and verses 62 64. The high priest arose and said unto him, Jesus, being Jesus, answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? 
but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And when Stephen is standing in the same room, in front of the same council, in front of the same high priest, his eyes toward heaven as they are gnashing on him with their teeth. They are literally, they're not just punching him. They're not just clawing him. They are biting him. He is living a hell on earth. But instead of trying to shake them off, he begins to look higher. And this man begins to bridge the gap. Mind you, the Saul of Tarsus is in the very same room. He is there at the very same time as Stephen's eyes are open. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. He said, I know where I am right now, but I know where I'm going. And after he finishes speaking, then cried they well, with a loud voice and stopped their ears. I don't want to hear what you're saying. Ran upon him with one accord. Cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen. While he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus! Receive my spirit. As if he was there on Golgotha's hill. Father, into thy hands commend I my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. It's this display of courage, this display of forgiveness and the power of God on Stephen that must have had a sobering impact on this young man by the name of Saul. It's this young man who's standing there next to the, the crowd, standing next to the chaos, and he, they, he, they've laid their coats down at his feet. He's taking responsibility for the stoning. That's what that meant. He wasn't just anyone. He was saying, if this is wrong, I'll take the blame, but I am sanctioning what's going on here today. They laid their, their clothes down. They laid their coats down at his feet. And all the while, while Stephen is preaching, all the while while he's praying, all the while while he's prophesying about what he's seeing in the Spirit, Saul of Tarsus is standing there close by. He's standing there within earshot.
Saul yet breathing out threatenings. Slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Went unto the high priest. Desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. He's leaving the country. Damascus is an ancient city in Syria. It's a six-day journey. That if he found any of this way or of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. The church is scattered, but not silent. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. No doubt, he's been on the road five and a half to six days. He's getting close to Damascus. He's got a pocket full of warrants. He's got a zeal for Jehovah. He thinks he's doing right. He believes he's doing this out of an obligation to crush blasphemy. No doubt his adrenaline begins pumping. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why? persecutest thou me. Again, it's a double narrative. Saul! Saul! Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Or, Who art thou, Lord God? I know your God but I didn't know I was persecuting you. So tell me who you are because apparently I don't know. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Wait a second. It's hard for thee kick against pricks. I was going to call this kicking against the pricks. We could call it that. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What does that mean? Other places in Scripture, it's not called a prick. It's called an ox goad. It's a stick that's been filed or cut down to a point, sharp point on one end, or it's got pieces of metal or glass in it. It's, it's sharp. 
It's used by the cattleman to poke, prod, and move his cattle, to nudge them the way they should go. I'm, you're not going the way. No, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go here. And if you read the cattleman's explanation, there are different degrees of goads or pricks. Some are just a stick that they could just nudge depending on the animal. If the, if the animal's pretty compliant, then they can just nudge and they can just lay it on the side and they can just get that animal to go the way it needs to go. The rider does it on a horse with the reins. You can lay the reins on the side of the neck if it's a well-trained horse. And you don't have to pull. You don't have to yank. You don't have to jerk the horse's head around. You can just lay the rein. And it's the natural response of a horse to turn away. Or I'm sorry, to turn into the pressure. Because it doesn't want the pressure. Learn to neck rein. That horse will go where it needs to go. It's got a bit in its mouth. It's the next level, or it's the beginning levels of training. It's got a bit in its mouth. It's got a lead rope attached to it at first. And then there's a whip in the other hand as the as the horse trainer stands in the middle of the round ring and he's got the horse on a lead rope and he snaps the whip and the horse is going away then from the noise. And that horseman can can take a compliant horse and he can wield him all the way around the ring and then he pops it the other direction and the horse will turn and the horse will go back the other way. And eventually once the horse learns, that cattleman will not need a rope attached to that horse, but the horseman can learn if I step into the path he will know to turn or I can get him to stop because he, he learns how to respond to the prick. He learns how to respond to the pressure. The cattleman will tell you that, that the next level up from from just a wooden rod might be a metal pipe or it might be I, I've seen my uncles use a golf club with the head cut off of it and, and, and it gets a little harder depending on the cattle and then from there they, they add electricity to it it's called a hot shot and it zaps them well that's mean well if they had responded it's just a button I could lay the hot shot on them with no electricity and it wouldn't do anything. It would just be the pressure. It would just be the nudge. But then, the electricity, so on and so forth, things escalate. But the verbiage that's used Saul of Tarsus goes even beyond that. You've been kicking against the pricks. You've been fighting the nudges. The cattleman would 
say you got to be careful with some animals because you'll nudge and they'll kick. And it causes danger to the nudger. Or it causes danger to the animal because the foot, even on a cow, even on a horse, it's got that thick hoof. In the center is soft flesh. And if they get it just right, there will be blood. There will be damage. Paul, Saul, kicking against the pricks. You've been fighting the nudges. Who are you, Lord? I've been trying to tell you. You're sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. You've you've known the law inside and out. And then you heard the teaching of Jesus. You heard the prophecies of Jesus. You heard, you saw the miracles, signs and wonders. You saw all of that. And it was trying to nudge. It was trying to move. It was trying to do. It was trying to work. It was trying to take all that knowledge and add spirit. It was trying to take the wisdom and add uh, revelation. It was trying to to take what you already knew and add experience. The book of Acts was not written on a day-to-day basis as it happened. It was written some years after the church started. Many believe by the Apostle Luke. Some scholars will tell you They believe that the sermon that Stephen preached was memorized verbatim by Saul of Tarsus and reiterated back to Luke. I was there. And this is what he said. And you read, you read chapter 7. Saul, or I'm sorry, Stephen, he's laying it all out. But God called Abram, so on and so forth. And Saul is saying, hey, I knew that. I knew that. I knew how he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of Mesopotamia, Stephen says. He said, I, I know how he went out and he dwelt in Haran. I know all of that. I know how Jehovah called him out. And the entire time, he's standing in the council room. Elder, the Spirit's nudging. The Spirit's prodding. The Spirit's moving. But Saul, he's kicking. I don't want to hear it. I refuse the revelation. I don't want it. I'm not preaching to anybody in here tonight, but I'm telling you that there's people that you and I bump into. And maybe I am preaching to you, and I, I'm, that's not my intention tonight. But there's people in our city that have heard, that have felt the nudge. gnashed upon him their teeth. So you just let the noise of the chaos drown out the nudging of revelation. How many have ever had a moment with God where you just you received revelation no matter how big no matter how small we're here tonight we've been baptized in Jesus name filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost if you've got the Holy Ghost no doubt you've had revelation does anybody ever remember 
the first time, even if you grew up in church, do you ever remember the first time where the, the light of the oneness of God sprung into your world for the first time? I, I see it. It was a nudge. It was a poke. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to see. It's a nudge. Saul, you've been kicking. You've been kicking against that. Started out softly at the feet of that great teacher, Gamaliel. But somewhere, and you read, you read, you read in the book of Acts with, with Peter and John and, and with the disciples and with the miracles, signs and wonders. You read about it. They, they turn to Gamaliel and they say, Gamaliel, what should we do? He said, listen, if this is of men, it'll fizzle out on its own. If it's of God, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. We had this one and we had that one and he names two or three. He said, and we wanted to do something about that, but we didn't. And it just fizzled out and it wasn't a big deal. Saul began to kick against that. Began to kick against Gamaliel, who I don't know if he ever saw the truth. I don't know if Gamaliel was ever filled with the Holy Ghost, but Saul, it started there, and it was trying. If you would just sit in the crowd, Saul, if you would just open your mind and open your spirit, then you could get the Holy Ghost as well, but you're kicking against it. we got some folks in our city that we've been reaching that have been kicking against it. Does that mean that God's not nudging? No, that means they're kicking against it. God's not going to stop nudging. But when I see them, I want to allow the Holy Ghost to use me to nudge them again. Use me, God, to nudge them again. I know that they're kicking against it, but Saul kicked against the nudge. We had opportunity. He's a young man. He had opportunities blended in with the crowd. Some scholars believe that he was used by the Pharisees, the high priest, to recruit those who gave false witness against Stephen. It's evident by the fact that they laid their coats down at his feet. You arrange this deal. You take responsibility for it. God's nudging. Some commentators even believe that Saul may have taken it a step further when, when the voice said, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. You've been kicking against the pricks too hard. Some believe he took it as. You've been given authority and you've been beating the flock with your authority. I'm trying to nudge, but you just play God. God's nudging. And he, verse 6, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Paul would labor later in Acts 22 go into more detail about what he would do to the church. In Acts 22, in verse 4, he said, I persecuted this way unto the death. He's giving his testimony. He said, I was binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness. In other words, Caiaphas knew what was going on in all the estate of the elders. They all knew what I was doing. I was young. I was full of strength. I was full of energy. I was full of passion. I was the one that could do it when they could not do it. They didn't have the strength. They didn't have the motivation to do it. But I was doing it, and they gave me the authority to do so from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished verse 19 I said Lord they know that I am prisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on me when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed it was burned into his psyche. He knows now you are pricking me. I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. God responds. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles was bridged by the nudgings that took place when thy martyrs thee. He said, I finally learned how to respond to the nudge. I saw a supernatural light that was brighter than the sun. I realized to persecute the body persecute Christ himself. He understood instantly that Jesus was the Old Testament Jehovah. God manifest flesh. It's hard for kicking up against the prick. I've been fighting the nudgings. I don't ever want to get to a point where I'm fighting the nudges. I don't want to fight the nudges. We've got folks that we've witnessed to fighting the nudges. 
if I do that. I know if I go there. And they're trying to see down the road. And God's just saying, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to just get you down the road. I'm trying to get you off this edge. If I can just nudge you away from the, the shoulder, if I can just nudge you away from the, we'll, uh, from the cliff, we'll, we'll worry about the rest of the road later. Just, just let me nudge you here. Just let me push. Just let me prod you here. Let me just work in your life right now. Let me just do this here at this point right now and and we'll deal with the rest later. And and like Saul, you might wake up blind. You might wake up confused. But uh, just like the Ethiopian eunuch was when he was sitting there in the chariot and he was reading from the book of Isaiah and he needed Philip. Saul needed an anointed human being to guide him down the road of salvation. And so you and I need a man of God that will nudge, that will push. I don't want to fight the nudge. I want to fight the spirit. Which is why when you come into the house of God, you feel that sludge. The sludge is not a nudge. resistance but I want to feel the nudge forward I'm moving forward young person you need to feel the nudge tonight I'm moving forward I'm tired of living like this I'm tired of living in limbo I'm tired of living dreamless I'm tired of living callingless I'm tired of living status quo. Tired of going through motions. I want to feel the nudge. I want to feel the nudge. And I don't just want to feel it. I want to respond to it. I want it to be at such a degree that that as he's riding down the road, I can feel the reins being picked up. I don't even need to feel them on my neck to know that there's a nudge coming. I just want to know. I don't want him to have to spur me. I don't want him to have to hot shot me. I don't want to kick to the point where, where my feet become bloodied and my, my, my walk becomes limped. Jacob, I've been nudging you for years. Jacob, dreams, visions moments but it takes a step altering encounter a body manipulating encounter that's some nudge see God's not looking just for folks spouting prophetic utterance. He's not just looking for a Peter who walked on the water with Jesus. 
He's not just looking for John the Beloved who would lay his head on his chest, who would love him, who would be his friend. He's not just looking for the sons of Zebedee. But he's looking for men and women of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Stephen was operating in the ministry of the saints. He was going about waiting tables. He was taking care of widows and orphans and the dejected. He was being the church. He wasn't some highly elevated individual. He was just one of the seven waiting tables but still experiencing the nudge and responding to it in like manner. As the Spirit would nudge him, he would nudge the boundaries. And it would nudge him again, and he would nudge the boundaries again. Just how far can I go, waiting tables? Just how far can I go in this arena? How, just how far can I go in this kingdom? I understand that I'm, I'm not Peter. I'm not John. I'm not Bartholomew. I'm not Matthias. I'm not James. I'm Stephen. But I'm full of faith. And I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I just wonder how far I could go. And he put himself, and God allowed him, and he, and he put himself full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost to such a degree that it was causing nudges. And a young man. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. Let's stand. I'm out of gas. As much as the book of Acts is structured around Simon Peter, as much as the book of Acts is structured around the Apostle Paul, it is just as much structured around Stephen, waiter of tables, full of the Holy Ghost. I want to respond to the nudges of the Spirit of God. I want to respond to the prodding. I want to respond to the pricking. It's when they were pricked in their hearts that things began to happen. How do I respond to the pushing? How do I respond? He was nudging. He was pushing. He was prodding the crowd. He was preaching to the council. They were cut to the heart. They were pricked. He laid their hearts open. He preached with conviction. He preached with power. He preached with authority. He preached with demonstration of power. Oh, there was a demonstration of power. The heavens were open. 
He was the only human being who ever called Jesus the Son of Man. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Simon said, I see him. I see him in his glorified state, in his position of power, and I know where I'm going. And the crowd responds to the nudging by kicking hard. We've got some folks we're trying to reach that are kicking hard. And God, I pray they'd find themselves six days away from their comfort zone. God, I pray they'd find themselves six days away from the council who's empowering them. And God, I pray that they'd find themselves in an encounter with a light brighter than the sun. God, I pray they'd find themselves alone without any options. With the light of revelation falling. I wonder tonight if I've got anybody that would say, you know what, I'll respond to the nudge. I'll respond to the call. I'll respond to the prodding. 